it was the most terrified I've ever been because two things happened, which was one, I thought, oh, okay, this is what mum must have felt like. This is, I've, I've ended up as mum. And the second thing I thought was, well, at some point, someone's gonna have to come along and just take me away and put me in a hospital because I don't know what I'm meant to do. Hey everyone, welcome to How Humans Change. This week we spoke with Ollie Applin. He is the creator of Mind Journal. Mind Journal is a journal for people, uh, men specifically, that have never journaled before. And in very practical steps, it shows you how to even approach something that seems like such a daunting, overwhelming task. It's got really helpful prompts and tips along the way. Even if you've been journaling for a long time, um, it's just really helpful because it sparks things and gets you to like look at things a little differently. The journal itself very much reflects Ollie's story, um, which we'll let him tell, but it, um, he had all this anxiety and panic attacks and a bipolar mother. And then finally in his early 20s, it led to this major breakdown where he realized he had to face his emotions for the first time. It's a powerful story and important now more than ever with all these stories of boys and men in the news that don't... <laughs> eh, you get it. Please check out mindjournals.com where you can grab a copy and rate us, give us all the stars, tell a friend. But uh, without further ado, here is Ollie. Man, thanks for taking time to do this. We're really excited to talk to you. No, thank you. It's always a pleasure to uh, get people interested in, in what we're doing. So um, it's, a, it's an honor. So thank you very much. Yeah. Well, we wanted to start by talking a little bit about the journal. I used mm -hmm. it, and I'll fill you in there, and then transition to talking about your story. Um, that's what captured me even considering emailing you, because when you kickstarted the project, you had written quite a bit of personal information. It was really powerful, and mm -hmm. that's what triggered uh, thinking about you for this podcast. Um, but you, for people who are listening, you... Um, you created something called Mind Journal, and when you launched it, it was geared towards guys. Is it still geared towards men, or is it starting yeah. to get towards women too? Hundred percent guys, as in guys. guys in however anyone sees themselves, if they see themselves as a guy. Got it. Right. Got right. it. Um, and the purpose of the journal. Why don't you give us the quick snapshot? Because it's great, and like I said, I use it almost every morning. Which one do you use? By out of curiosity, the, the original yeah. Kickstarter yeah. one. The original. Yeah. I've got sweet, the original. Sweet. So my journal is a journal that we've designed that's specifically for guys. Um, and the reason it's so unique and so special is the fact that it's got this powerful writing program sort of inside. It's the, the core thing about my journal is this framework of 30 powerful exercises that we've kind of put together. Um, and the idea with this kind of framework is that you go through from being maybe quite new and nervous maybe about journaling and about kind of exploring your emotions uh, and the plan and the hope is that through the kind of journey you go on through this program is that you get to the end and you're a more confident to journal and b you're actually a bit more confident and secure about kind of talking about your feelings and maybe even then sharing those kind of discoveries with other people or or, or kind of continuing your journey basically so um that's the kind of context of the journal um and then it's all wrapped in our kind of like you know beautiful design and, and a great aesthetic and kind of like you know um like a durable case and everything else that makes it quite sort of manly and tough and everything can yeah. and, and sort of mm -hmm. inspiring. But the core thing is this, this, this powerful framework in the, in the core of it. Yeah. I think the, the design, yeah, I'm, I, uh, I'm a designer as well. And I think the design is what brought, I think it brings a lot of the journal to life. And mm -hmm. when you say it's kind of brought in this more masculine design, it's a very modern, it's a super modern look. It actually, looks beautiful and you want to pick it up and it's not one of those caveman paleo dude journals that's <laughs> supposed to be all macho it's got like a really clean beautiful feel to it yeah yeah that's the, that was the objective i mean i'm a designer myself so it was kind of like that's it was this thing of like i wanted to create a side project but i wanted to create something that had real purpose real meaning real value to it that wasn't just like another kind of corporate client gig that i just get mm -hmm. like I do that enough, like in my day Ooh, job. We need to um, talk about that. So <laughs> sidebar on that one. Um, so I was like, okay, well, let's do let's do something that's yeah ticks those boxes that we've got inside yeah. of us, um, and that's kind of where you know Mind Journal kind of allowed me to sort of go completely freestyle with my kind of creativity around like you know get stuck back into like paper and 
how yeah. something actually feels and touches and how is someone going to own it and how they're going to get excited by it. And that's why everything had to feel kind of like, you know, what's it going to feel like when it arrives in the post and, mm-hmm. and you unpack it and you unwrap it. And that whole experience was a big part of it is just as, just as much as you finally go through all those layers and it's like, Oh wow, there's all this amazing mm-hmm. content. Brilliant. Um, Absolutely. So, so design was just as important as the yeah. content and it always had to kind of be, it had to have a meaning. It wasn't just like design for design's sake. There was always yeah. like, okay, how we justify what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. And, and that I think it shows. Well. I mean, I got the, yeah, I guess the second sure. version or the, the most current one. And it's great. Are... I think it so does. So you got really... the, the workbook version. Right, right. Yes. I didn't know there were different ones, but yes, I guess <laughs> I guess I did. I guess. <laughs> Why did you guys change? Well, we, we can talk about that in a little bit, but just, just to kind of broaden the context a little bit too, you are... Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm placing your accent correctly. You're in South Africa, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Are you serious? Is that, no, I'm know. joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're calling you in London, and I just want people to get an idea. You're in London. You're based there. You grew up there. Um, I'm actually on the you... South Coast, so I'm, I'm right. Out, I'm out of London. I'm right down at the bottom of the UK on the coast um, near the Channel. Um, in uh, a little town called Lewis, which is on the outskirts of a of a city called Brighton. That's a, oh. a city, a, a city, coastal city um, that we have down here. Yeah. Um, I I thought what I would do, Ollie, is read a little bit of what you wrote in your Kickstarter, and just have you go from there. Um, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to listen to any of the episodes. If you haven't, that's fine. But we just have a conversation, you, me, Leaf, about how you've changed and what changes you've experienced over the years. And it's um, as honest and transparent as you want to be. But we'll just, we'll just chat through it. And this, what I was going to read, I think will serve as a nice Kickstarter. No pun intended. All right. Uh, So you wrote for my entire life, I've always helped people from helping my mom as she suffered from bipolar to becoming a designer, a role that involves solving problems that help people. I've also had my fair share of badness over the years. I lost my mom to suicide when I was 19 and suffered a mental breakdown two years later. I've been affected by anxiety, panic attacks, and crippling headaches most of my life. Yet the thing that has saved me more than once was the advice I was given years ago to keep a journal. Yeah. Yeah, I said that. (laughs) You said that, yeah. So tell us about that. You, I mean, what a tragic circumstance. And you said you've been uh dealing with anxiety of sorts your whole life or as an adult or yeah pretty much my whole life so growing up with uh with my mum was was you know it was it was always going to be tough having a, a parent that was bipolar um and her extreme highs and lows meant that kind of living in that household was always kind of like a, a guessing game you was always asking yourself what if kind of scenarios is she, you know, what is mum going to be doing? What what am I going to come home and find? Is she going to be on top of the world and going to be loving life? Or is she going to be rock bottom and she's going to be half dead on the floor? Like what, mm, what yeah. kind of parameters am I going to be working with just today, just this morning, you know? Um, was so, she diagnosed as bipolar? Did she know? Uh, she was diagnosed, but it was, it was almost diagnosed too late because I think one thing I've sort of uh, discovered later is that bipolar is like one of the hardest mental illnesses to uh, for them to kind of yeah to diagnose because it's it it spans so many different behaviors so they don't know sometimes if it's just PTSD or if it's just uh, you know cl- uh, clinical kind of depression or all these kind of different things so mm-hmm. they find it hard to kind of go oh you know that's what's going to solve it that's what you've got um, so they kind of diagnosed yep. her too late when those behaviors she was i think 56 when she uh died oh so that's like you know 56 years of her life of those behaviors and 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 that was so deep rooted that mm. she had a belief in herself that she couldn't trust these people she couldn't trust the doctors she couldn't wow she couldn't take their advice she couldn't take their help um and so wow. as much as she wanted to change and as much as she wanted wanted to kind of do something for herself and therefore do something for me, which was kind of do the right thing. Perhaps um, there was a battle inside of her, which was, are these, are these people actually trying to help me or actually they trying to kind of, uh, it, it was always the joke that they're the crazy ones. I'm yeah. actually normal. Um, and so you I have someone of, close in my life who was 
is was diagnosed with bipolar and it took um over a decade mm, mm. before they came to that conclusion that that's what it was yeah it's a it's a real it's a complete it's just a beast of a of a of an illness and it's kind of that kind of um it's like Jekyll and Hyde it's that it's that kind of like all you know I would see my mum in state sometimes and go this is a complete alien person to me I don't know who this person is mm. um just but through her kind of such extreme behaviors um wow. and then she'd come flip side to the positive side and be you know super happy and you kind of almost would it was almost like she would wrap you in this false sense of like it's fine this is how it's going to be now and you would trust her in that so you would yeah. kind of almost feel like okay I'm, i feel secure now and then mm. when it all comes crumbling down again that's what was driving my anxiety that uh, and my panic attacks which i didn't realize at the time that's what i was suffering with i thought it was like some sort of weird heart condition that's why i was kind of just I falling see. over and just you know passing out um when was the was first like, one and what was it like uh the first one i think i was about 14 and i was at the cinema with my aunt and we were watching like the latest star wars film that was out at the time in the cinema and there was this scene where it was just the spacecraft thing this taxi thing that they're in was just like flying through this city mm-hmm. and i found that quite intense and i started getting quite hot um oh. and then feeling quite sick and thought this is weird and then left the cinema called my like cool myself down a bit and then came back in again and thought that that was weird what was that about mm. i've been fine in cinemas before that that maybe it was just too much popcorn i just kind of you know like rationalize it a bit yeah. and then i noticed that this this just kept repeating really um it, at first it was the cinema that was the kind of trigger for some weird reason so i started then doing like avoidance tactics around you know not going to the cinema it must be i'm sitting too close or maybe right. my vision like the intensity up. and like it's just so loud and big and exactly yeah yeah, yeah. um so huh. you know i went you know went through years of kind of like different scenarios and then telling myself it was those scenarios that were causing this weird thing huh. yeah. still didn't know they were panic attacks i just thought oh it was just that's just what it is and so yeah. you growing up with a with a mom who has a mental illness and then starting to experience things that are um the repercussions of bad mental health essentially for yourself were you able to make a connection of hmm, maybe something's going on with mental health or was it that opinion from your mom that doctors are crazy and i got this and no big deal that kept you from finding and seeking health beyond the avoidance strategies yeah it was it was definitely that i, I think when i got to about um i don't think it was until i was like 18 that i think i found out that they or they kind of said, hey, maybe these are panic attacks. So from like 14 to then, I was then just, you know, drinking and partying and taking drugs and, mm. and doing all that kind of classic kind of suppression uh, yeah, coping strategy sure. way of doing it. Um, and when they did sort of turn around and say, these these potentially are panic attacks and, and this is an anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. uh I just didn't take it seriously. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Right, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about that. So, um, wow, you know, let's just crack on. I didn't. I don't think I even. I think I said to my mum, oh, they think it's like an anxiety or panic attacks, and she was like, oh, you know, that's that's fine. Don't worry about that. You know, um, whoa, damn, it's just let's just carry on, kind of thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> so it was kind of like so, like not important. Do you know what I mean? It was so low level uh, of priorities in in. It wasn't. A, it didn't feel like it was. A, it wasn't taken seriously, and she didn't take seriously her own extreme behaviour. Yeah. Uh, so it was all kind of like, oh, you know, this is just this is just how it is. So it was just were they, acceptable. Were they getting worse? Um, no, I don't remember them getting worse. I think it was just that you. I was learning to deal with them, and I was learning to notice the triggers, and I was learning to kind of. Uh, avoid avoid situations that would trigger it. So I was it was that kind of day to day managing of of it. I don't knew what it was now. Someone had labelled it, so I feel like I got. I remember I felt like I kept a bit like, oh okay, at least I know what that is now. Um, so that's a bit reassuring. But okay, well, let's just crack on anyway. Hmm. Um, what was the final 
thing that broke the straw or how does the phrase go final straw that broke the camel's back camels and straw what was the final big thing that made you think uh oh no this uh, is real well when i had the breakdown that was that was the that was the tipping point um yeah. and that do you mind telling happened. us what that what, what that does it look like yeah uh the breakdown was worse than the actual death of my mum. it was wow. uh it's like when she died it was weird because it was almost like she had like several suicide attempts before her death. So I kind of knew it was coming. We were kind of, we weren't surprised that she had died. We were always sort of uh, not laughed, but kind of jokingly thought, well, mum's never going to get old. We're never going to see mum in a, in a, in a, in an old people's home. She's never going to get to that point. I mean, she would hate to be old. So why would she ever let herself get to that point? So you're always kind of thinking like, well, at some point she's going to die. Um, and as tragic and as devastated as I was when it happened, I think it was almost like I could then crack on even more. Yeah. I mean, I could I could just immerse myself in work and I could immerse myself at uni and yeah. I could just go, this thing is no longer here uh, holding me back. I can just plow forwards now. Um, so I did for two years. After she died, I just I just cracked on forwards. And then just stuffed it and, and went like balls to the wall. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Just was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do all the things that I wanted to do. I'm going to finish uni. I'm going to get a job and I'm going to do all these cool things. And then out of the blue, no trigger, no reason. It wasn't like it was her anniversary or anything at all. It was like three o'clock in the morning, uh, woke up with this. It wasn't like I woke up from a nightmare or anything. It was just like, bam, uh, panic attack three o'clock in the morning, just mm. woke me up. And um, and I was sat there and I was like, this is really weird because like a panic attack is like maybe a minute, two, three minutes for me, like max. And I'm usually able to sense when it's it's kind of calming down. And if there's going to be like a second wave, I can sense the second wave coming and I can kind of almost prepare myself for that second wave. Right. This thing was just like pure adrenaline and it was like so intense. And then, And because I was like, wow, this is so intense it was driving the panic even more. And then I was just in this spiral of panic that just got deeper and deeper and deeper. Oh, and before I knew it, I was in this thing for like three months. It was just, I, I, I never got out of it. It was like a, a black hole oh, gravity whoa. thing, you know, you're just in it. And I, three months, like three months, like high octane adrenaline. Pretty much, that's what it felt like. It was because everything, it felt like, um, I couldn't, well, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't socialize. I stayed indoors. Um, I was having sort of surreal, like hallucination type visions of where I'd be in the shower and I'd think the water was blood on my hands or, uh, the curtains would move and I would think my mum was behind the curtain or, um, oh. and that might've just been through sleep deprivation that I was having this kind of trippy right. kind of, um, visionary stuff. But, um, but it was days of that, Ollie, that's in that's just a long time it was brutal yeah it was it was it was the most terrified i've ever been because two things happened which was one i thought oh okay this is what mum must have felt like this is i've i've ended up as mum so this was a this was inevitable like you know i've just replicated that kind of thing and the second thing i thought was well at some point someone's gonna have to come along and just take me away and put me in a hospital because I don't know what I'm meant to do. Um, I didn't, for some reason I didn't decide to, I decided not to go to the doctors that just didn't enter my head. Um, didn't even seem like an option. Didn't even, yeah, it didn't even seem as like, Oh, okay. I feel really messed up. Maybe I should go to the doctors. It was like, no, I would need to stay indoors. Uh, I I think that's a one thing that I think that, I have seen this happen before, and I think probably have done this before, having not known any better, that when you see someone who's undergoing some type of mental stress, it's a, whether it's a mental illness or just um, a temporary type of uh, anxiety or panic, there's this sense of like, why can't they just go to the doctor? <laughs> and when you're in it, you have 
it doesn't even register as as a potential option. Like a lot of the things that would be good for you don't even show up as as options. It's not like you decided, oh, I think maybe I could go to the doctor. No, I'm not going to go to the doctor. It sounds like it mm. just didn't even appear. It mm. just wasn't even there. Yeah, and I, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I don't even remember her saying maybe you should go to the doctor um, because I don't think she could see how uh, messed up I was, like, you know, how much I was struggling because for, you know, 19 years of my life with my mum, everything was a secret. You know, no one was, no one could ever find out what she was going through. No one could ever find out about the suicide attempts. No one could ever find about any of the extreme behavior that was going on in the house. Like my dad never knew, no one in my family never knew. I think in the later stages of her life, I think I told maybe like two friends because I had to, I had to stay somewhere because she was in hospital in, in a coma. And so I was like, well, I need somewhere to stay. And I, I had see. to tell my friends why she was, why I needed to stay because mum's in a coma because she did this thing, et cetera, et cetera. Jeez. But bar that, like everyone around me was like, thought that I was, I had a normal life at home. Hmm. So to then have a <laughs> breakdown, to have a breakdown for me was like, okay, well, I, I know how to, not let on that anything's wrong to anyone right. so so my girlfriend at the time probably was like well okay well he's just suffering with a bit of you know stuff at the moment he's fine because he he says he's fine right. he looks fine uh so that was okay maybe he doesn't need to go to the doctor he just needs to just a bit of time and a bit of space to kind of figure his stuff out it wasn't like i was running around going ah! like you know, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what it felt like i wasn't actually physically showing that so how would anyone know how i was actually feeling i didn't know how to express it i mean that was the root cause of the problem i, I didn't know how to just get this stuff out damn yeah jeez but that was a a super intense three months that um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that uh, yeah, was the most terrifying because you you lose that grip on reality. You lose that. You 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 almost lose yourself. You're like, I can't pull myself back. I can't talk to myself and coach myself and go, Ollie, look, just chill out, man. It's okay. Look, just breathe. And, you know, I couldn't I couldn't form that conversation with myself. It was just one way of just of uh, whatever this negative anxiety, panic, fear. Um, it was pretty much every emotion you could ever imagine at one time, just as a tap, just going full on. What happened at the end of, how'd you get out of it? Uh, well, my girlfriend at the time, uh, I think she obviously started thinking this is going on a little bit too long. Um, what's this all about? And did some research and uh, stumbled across a leaflet. I don't know how she found it. She brought it home and it said uh, symptoms of suicide bereavement and there was this leaflet and at the back was like a symptoms checklist all the things you would feel if someone uh, you love uh, dies from suicide and I was just hitting each of these symptoms you mm. know headaches and panic attacks and fear and not eating and I just went on and on and on and I was like ah okay that's what I've got it was like that time when I was 18 and the doctors were like you've got this is probably a panic attack maybe you've got anxiety these are the symptoms of it. Do you feel those things? I was like, oh yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. This leaflet was like made sense of the madness that I felt. Um, and it said at the bottom, you know, uh, if you feel like this, maybe you should go and seek help and, and see a counselor. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah, I should do that. Oh, then. good. So the, you know, the, 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 the like, no, those people are crazy didn't kick in. You were like, yeah, that, okay, I'll do it. It's because I felt like I had the facts. Like someone was providing me with like evidence to say, these are the things you're feeling. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the reason is X. And I could go logically in my brain that, that, that matched up, that made sense. Um, no one, it, no one had approached it in that way with me before, yeah. um, through those three months. So I phoned up a, a, a therapist, a counselor and, and booked in counseling. That's amazing. That, yeah. Yeah. The power of brochures really. <laughs> i didn't know you, oh, you yeah. said you're a designer so was it this was it was it like oh, it was oh, so this, bad it was so it bad was, right yeah it, was, yeah it was really bad yeah for, but, um, for every client who's ever like i just needed to move five pixels to the right 
here we have a man who just witnessed what is probably one of the ugliest brochures in the world and it worked and it didn't matter yeah, print, print, print matters and uh print still works and uh this leaflet changed my life yeah it's incredible so then you call him and then what happens you start going to see a therapist you start going to groups uh, no, I knew that groups wasn't right for me. So I found a private um, mm -hmm. practitioner. I found a, a private counsellor because our NHS system for mental health is pretty crap here in the UK. Uh, and I knew that if I did go through the usual route of, you know, going to a doctor and then getting referred, it would take me probably like another six months or something ridiculous. So I thought, no, if, if this is the issue, then let's let's go and get help now. Yeah. Um, so I knew that private would be far quicker. So I got recommended a, a therapist, phoned her up. I think it was like a week later I had my first appointment and I was in. Good um, for you, man. It was funny because I'd seen her not long after my mum had died because someone had said, hey, uh, you might want to see a counsellor if your mum's just died. Maybe you should go and, go and see this woman. And I went along and I was kind of like, I went with my sister and we were both kind of like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel normal. They were like, what are we doing here? And we kind of just got through the kind of 30 minute introductory and we were like, came outside and we was like, yeah, like that's not for us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave that. And then I came back to the same woman like this two years later and she said to me, she was like, um, I knew you'd be back at some point. So I'm not surprised mm -hmm. to see you here. And I was like, wow. yeah, maybe I, maybe I should have just stayed for the other 30 minutes um, <laughs> two, two years ago. <laughs> Um, I would have saved myself a bit of time, but um, uh, that's amazing. You learn. So you did. You 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 get into counseling, you um, and you start to unravel like what in the world this is, and no more or less. You, you end the ninety day trauma streak, mm -hmm. and then how do you start to notice yourself changing, and what are you learning about yourself over the next few years? Um. Well, it was the core thing was just how to feel. Hmm. I mean, it's as simple as that. It was, it, and also to ha like how to label a feeling. Like I went into therapy and she was like, okay, you know, let's have a chat. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna, I, I don't know what to chat about. Like, what do you want to chat about? Um, hmm. I'm not, I've been told for 19 years. I mean, now I was like 21, 22. So I've, I've been trained to not talk about stuff. And now you want me to talk about stuff. So that's not going to work. That's like talking therapy. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I've never, no one's ever taught me, shown me. I've been told not to talk. So this whole setup that you've got going on, we're in two chairs and you've got a box of tissues going on is alien for a start. And I don't know how to do this. Very overwhelming. Um, yeah, super overwhelming. And, 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 and I felt like uh, I was portraying my mum, you know, I was uh -huh. having to tell this person stuff about my mum. And I was convinced like my mum was on the other side of the door, ready to kind of smash it down and punch me in the face and go, you know, what the hell are you doing? Damn. So I had to confront this kind of fear of, of my mum finding out that I was talking about our stuff, you know, talking about how she made me feel and how I actually felt. And to do that, I had to learn the vocabulary, I had to learn the words, I had to learn what anger meant, how it felt, uh, what it, you know, what it felt like to cry and, and to be sad and to be depressed and all these emotions, I had to go right back to the beginning and go, okay, let's start with number one. What does that feel like? What, what is, how does that work? Because um, at the time you, it sounds like emotions were just maybe one or two big labels like like mm. i'm feeling happy and then i'm feeling not happy and but everything in between was foreign is that right yeah it was in a box you know it was in a kind of i'm not opening that up you know that's that's staying over there locked away let's not express that let's not deal with it let's not connect with it let's not even learn what those things are in there or what they're called um well, we don't need them, you know, let's just, let's leave them over there. We need, you know, yeah, we need happiness and we need, uh, like passion because I was passionate about like my work. So I had this kind of like work epic thing and, um, it was kind of like more positive vibes. Anything negative was just, you know, pushed away kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
so uh, the therapist the therapist's job was basically to get me to to connect with these feelings and so she did it through this this sort of journaling practice with a feelings list where she sent me away and said okay well, let, let's not do any talking let's do some writing and let's write down your feelings let's just go away with a feelings list and just circle what you think you feel and come back to the session with this piece of paper where I scribbled all the all the the feelings like circled them all and come back and said like I think I felt like sad and I think I felt like confused and and she wow. was like okay let's start that start there as a starting point let's talk about that um and I think I was with her for like a year pretty much uh, it was like six six week sprints with a two week gap in between and that went on for like a year um just just digging digging through it all and just going okay what's what's driving the anxiety what's driving the panic attacks what's driving the headaches what's you know um and how do we how do we start to change your behaviors around uh these these things these negative these negative things and and build more positive behaviors into you um and coping strategies you know for me coping strategies was a was like a what the hell is a coping strategy? You know, I didn't understand that. What was a coping strategy in the beginning? What did that look like? Uh, it was avoidance. If it wasn't drugs, which I then realized were having a negative impact on me. So I just completely stopped them. I just went cold turkey and was like, okay, that's now causing these panic attacks. So let's stop that. So then it was just work, keep myself busy, keep my mind focused on, on work and making money and uh, and let's avoid everything else, basically. Just avoid anything that makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, mm. uh, basically, even, that, even if that was like conversations or, you know, talking about certain things, it was just avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. Um, and then those, er what were some of those early healthy ones that your therapist helped you be create at the beginning? Uh, so it was the, 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 the journaling was the first one. So a journey as a way of kind of just allowing me to if I felt anything at all positive or negative allow myself the opportunity to then to express that and if I, and I still was not quite sure about expressing that around people so the journal allowed me a private place to almost train myself you know test out how to express these things mm -hmm. um, I could learn how to use the words that I wanted to use if I was in a conversation with someone rather than stumbling my way through or feeling like they were judging me or anything else because the paper doesn't judge me. The paper doesn't necessarily really care what I'm saying. Um, so I found journaling like insanely, insanely powerful just to kind of coach myself through this new way of being emotional, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, Do you remember so when you attempted to translate the written word into verbal do you remember what that felt like as you started to move into the um, there, there communicating with a, people? Yeah, there wasn't like a key, a specific memory, but thing I think a big moment out of the entire process that I had in, in therapy was being able to sit down with my dad and for the first time in, in his life with having me as his son, mm -hmm. we had an actual real conversation about everything that had happened at home for the years that he wasn't with my mum, that they broke up. And then from that point, I could go, right, well, this is what happened. And this is what happened to me. And this is what I was going through. And I went as dark and as detailed as, as, as it, as it went basically. Um, wow. And it was, it was, I remember that being actually, yeah, that, that was a big moment. Cause I think, I'd always been told by my mum to never, to the one person she never wanted to, to have know her stuff was him, was my dad. Hmm. So, so to sit there and then say to him, this is what mum did and this is how it made me feel. It yeah. was like, okay, this is, this is a big moment. Um, Jeez. And it was a big moment for him, I think, as well, because he, he isn't an emotional man either. He, he went to boarding school when he was a kid. He, he, his, his upbringing has also been quite uh, like he, he struggles as well emotionally. Mm. Um, so to then have his son show him how to be emotional and how to share this stuff um, 
was emotional for him. He was like, okay, cool. I can, I can maybe open up more. And our relationship has just completely not changed, but it's just got a lot stronger. And, uh, he was, there's a lot of respect there between us because of, we can just be completely honest with each other because we feel safe to do it. Um, so, and that's all come from those early, those early steps in therapy, just to kind of go, okay, I can, I can talk about this stuff now. Okay. And mum hasn't come smashing through the door and punched me or punched my dad or done something extreme. Like no one's died. Okay. This is weird. Like everything's fine. And I've just told something to someone. Okay. This, this works. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, so that's so liberating. Yeah, it was. It was like it was. I, I remember it being like a tap because I think since then I don't think I've really been able to shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just rabbit on now, um, and people have to tell me like, you know, Ollie, I've got to go now. Like, you know, people are leaving. There's no one here. You're just talking to yourself. Um, so, no, it's good. It's very good. Did your dad know what was going on in your childhood? No. Um, no, I think he said once that he thought maybe something was not quite right or maybe that, um, yeah, things weren't as, as, as well as I would make out sometimes. But he said, he, I think he was like, I never knew that it was as extreme as it was because how would you know, I suppose, like if as kids, if we were that good at, at protecting mums, um, well, whatever she wanted, uh, however she saw it, I don't know. I don't really know what we were protecting, but I suppose we were protecting her. Uh, I don't know. It's tricky. That's true. I'm finding that hard to kind of finish that Rep- one. Like reputation. I don't want to put words no, in. Um, yeah, maybe it was. I think she just didn't want it. Was her fear always was that if he finds out, then he will have the, us taken away from her. So her biggest fear was that she would lose the lose lose me and my sister. So any ammunition that he would have to then say to a court, okay, now I want custody of the kids. So she was like, paint the picture that everything's perfect, then he won't have any ammunition. Um, and you know, uh, um, that's what we kind of uphold basically. So what are you, now? How um, how many years later is this for you now? Uh, so that was what uh, she died in 2005, and then so in 2008 I, I had my breakdown and did therapy, and it's now 2018. So about 10 years, 10, 11 years, yeah. So yeah. what? What? Um, I mean, what would what would be the big changes we would notice if we knew you then and knew you now? Um, I don't know. I don't know if you probably would. Because it was so well hidden, uh, and not that I hide it well now, but um, I feel like I haven't changed on the outside. I've only changed on the inside. So you know, I've still got the same friends. They think I'm the same as I as I was back then. Um, you know, I've still got the same personality. I still talk about things like in a in a jokey way. I don't take. I don't want people to kind of think that not, you know, they can't talk about my mom or they can't joke about, you know, things that she, that she did in the, in terms of the good times and stuff, because they think I'm going to start crying or, or anything. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you know, that, you know, let's, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. she was a nightmare and that's fine to say, you know, let's, let's say that, you know, and let's also say, yeah, she was nuts in a, in a good way. You know, she had amazing traits. And mm-hmm. so I don't think in terms of like how I've changed or how my attitude has changed towards, uh, my mom or, or anything that's happened to me is, has, has changed. It's just now how I deal with things myself and how I have relationships with people and, and things. Um, have, have you found yourself seeing the world differently? Have you done anything drastic, like changing religions, changing political parties, anything like that? Or is it just mostly been internal? It's, it's very internal, very internal. Um, there is a kind of aspect of, um, I suppose, I suppose there is one thing which is, I know that if she, or I feel uh, like that if she was still alive, that I wouldn't be where I am now, uh, both in 
you know, career and, and stuff like that. But I know that I wouldn't have done Mind Journal. I know that I wouldn't have ever spoken to my dad in the way that I did. I probably wouldn't have gone into therapy and, and, and dealt with the things in the way that I did. I like to think that if she was alive, that I would have I would have still gone on this journey. And then I, I kind of ask myself sometimes then, well, if I've now gone through this journey, I am the person I am now, would I would I be able to save her or would I, would I be able to change her behavior? Would I, Ooh, yeah. um, because I have become emotionally stronger and I've become emotionally wiser and, and, and I've learned so much about, you know, therapy and, and psychology and everything else through my own self-help. Uh, could I translate that into helping her in some way? Um, so that's, that's a complex question that I That is complex, man. Um, Wow. I, I try and not sort of uh, go to analytical one um, because then you're you're playing into that kind of what if scenario, right, and you're yeah. kind of like, well, I don't need to do that to myself because it's out of my control. So that's kind of feeding my anxiety. It's feeding that kind of what if stuff again. Yeah, um, that's not being present. You know, that's living back then, and it's also thinking too far in the future. And I, I don't want to stay grounded. So. Um, let's focus on now and what I can change immediately around me. And, and let's focus on that instead. That's a much more positive place for me. You, um, that, that's a really good, one of the things we asked towards the end, I want to ask you a couple more questions first, but we do ask people, um, what advice you would have for someone who's going through something like this. And it sounds like you were just sharing some of it. So can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, what the, the, in answering your question or just expanding on? My yeah. Kind answer, of, sorry. In answering my question, what advice you might have for others who would be going through something similar? I think it's, I think the one thing I found was, uh, it's reassurance in knowing that what you're going through is completely normal. Um, and, and it's okay that you're going through it. I think when I found that leaflet, the reason that it helped me was because it was a, it was a, it was someone else. It was another human being going, this is fine. And loads of other people have experienced it too. And they're probably experiencing it right now. That's why there's a group going on and there's going to be a room filled with them. And I think knowing that you're not alone in, because it's such an, it's such a lonely feeling when you're it that is. lost. It's so you, if someone says, oh yeah, I feel like that. You, you're like, how on earth do you know what I'm feeling like? Like you have no idea. Mm. Um, and we are all different and I'm not saying that, you know, uh, you might be, uh, experiencing something slightly different to someone else, but in, in the broader sense of there's someone else that you can, you can connect with. There's someone else that you can kind of share that with and, and, and know that it's okay to be going through what you're going through. Um, kind of validates I, that, that you're not crazy, that, that your experience is true. Yeah, I think I've written it in the book that it was kind of like uh, as as unnatural as it feels, it's completely it's completely natural, you know, as completely um, yeah, as completely out of this world that it feels, and it's completely lost and lonely. It's the complete opposite to that, in fact, you know. Um, the other thing is, yeah, just try, just really try and find some help in in, in that. Uh, I'm lucky in the sense that I think I've got a natural ability to talk and to want to talk. And I think it was just suppressed for all those years by my mum. But I think I've always maybe wanted to talk. So when I w I've been given the opportunity to talk, it's worked out really well for me. But uh, for some people, that might not be the case. They might not want to talk. And that's fine too. But then it, you know, try and find another way to kind of express things and to, and to kind of help yourself. So if that's through journaling or if that's through... Uh, meditation using headspace for example or there's so many different things out there um then give those things all a try you know there's there's, there's countless countless i mean i'll be here for hours going through them all but yeah uh, try them all until you've kind of exhausted it and gone like no there's nothing works for me like that's crap like something will work it's just you've got to find it and you've got to put a little bit of work in to kind of yeah to, to source in it because um like years ago, if someone said to me, oh, you need to do breathing exercises and meditation, I would have gone, oh, sod off. What are you, what are you on? I'm not going to, 
I'm having a panic attack. How's breathing going to help? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm freaking out right now. Like, yeah. that's not going to work. But now I've, I've somehow, I've got into headspace and recently I was having, uh, for like the last two years, uh, I've been struggling with uh, panic attacks on trains. And I've been doing journaling and I've been doing loads of stuff and I've been seeing a, a, a physical therapist, like talking therapy, we're trying to work through it. And I was kind of getting there, but I was still getting panic attacks and I was avoiding yeah. going on holidays. Like I was avoiding going on planes because I was like, well, if I can't do a train, I can't do a plane. Hmm. Got headspace and started the kind of five minute, 10 minute thing. And I've been yeah. using it to breathe through and do the exercises on a train. And then last year, I'm now getting the train to London uh, we That's took two awesome. holidays. We went to Mallorca. We went to like uh, Amsterdam. We got on planes, ferries. I mean, you name it, did it all. And it was all through doing this headspace thing. Um, it's amazing. I mean, I'm doing other things at the other t- at the same time, journeying it and you know yeah. talking about it with my therapist. But headspace has been there as like put the cans on and be in the zone, um, and and yeah, breathe your way through it. It works. It does work. Love headspace. Use I use it's um. I've been trying to tell as many friends as I can about Headspace. And I've, I found Headspace in a similar time where I was pursuing all sorts of different um, ways of being kind to myself and pursuing mental health. And I had been um, told you should try doing something like this. And I had found Headspace and in a, a, I think I was, it was one of my introductions to the concept of meditating, but I was open to the idea of doing it. And then I did it and it's, uh, it's awesome. Mm, mm. It's so, so good. Like I, actually... think the, I just quickly, I think the reason he, it, it works is because of Andy's voice. Like there's something about, something about his it. voice. Yeah. It's, I tried a couple of other ones just for a laugh. I think I tried calm and, and something else and, mm-hmm. The voice wasn't quite right, whereas, but Andy just—I don't know—it just it just goes in, it just works. Because I think part of it is because he he's casual and he removes the veneer that so many, um, from my experience, so many meditate like meditation people put this meditative veneer on things, mm-hmm. and I think if you are into that, it works really well, but if you're not into that it's hard to penetrate through like the the yogi kind of yeah and yogis yeah. are great but it's hard to get through that and andy's so it just strikes me as and i know he's doing it on purpose but it just to me too it strikes me as just just chill uh average conversational tone that allows you to get to the content without getting caught up in um the like the form well yeah you almost forget that his voice is there and i think it's something where i think he talks to you like a mate he talks to you like a friend would he doesn't mm-hmm. talk to you in any you'd, you'd imagine going for a pint with him and he'd talk in exactly the same voice is the one that he just exactly. told you to just chill out on a train and i think you know it's something that i've unconsciously done i feel like through mind journal is that it, I've i was gonna say I, to... you have done that you the writing i've it's a conversational tone it doesn't feel um doesn't feel stodgy. It feels no. it feels fairly friendly. That's I think that was a. It was always a. It was, I think I was mindful in the sense that I just wanted it to be me, and I wanted to be able to just talk to people. I think that's why we made it for guys was because I feel more comfortable talking to guys than I do with to with women. Sure. Um, and maybe that's because I've I've struggled to talk to my mum about stuff because I never got the opportunity, and the first time I could talk about my stuff was with my dad, and maybe I feel more okay about being emotional in front of him so therefore now i feel more okay about being emotional in front of other guys mm-hmm. so i thought well, that's when it kind of shifted to being uh, a male focused brand and then i thought well in that case then i'm just going to talk to these guys like they were they were my mates yeah. i'm just going to pretend all of these that these guys are just my buddies like that's a lot easier for me from a copy perspective because i haven't got to try and put on a different hat when i come to write yeah and think oh well, this is going to be got yourself I can just be myself, exactly. Yeah. Um, so where is where is the Mind Journal at now? Where where are things? You've been doing this for a couple of years at least, yeah. Yeah. So the uh, the next steps are to get the basically is to get the Kickstarter version back up and running again because everyone loved it. Um, 
it was uh, a little bit more kind of neutral in terms of like uh, the way it was received by different guides. The content's not going to change for this this latest edition that's going to be coming out literally, I think, end of March, early April. Um, but we're just bringing the aesthetic back to being more open, more neutral. Um, and we've got a few extra bits in there, some exciting kind of uh, new features that um, we'll be announcing properly soon. But um, it's essentially the same core framework, mm-hmm. um, just just packaged nicer and wrapped up in a more neutral way. Yeah, you know, one of the things um, I have appreciated it for, about it for what it's worth, um, I am and have always been able to talk about my feelings, almost freakishly so, to <laughs> the degree that like when I get into, like when my wife and I get into any type of couples, like off the shelf, generic, anything, it doesn't work because we're more or less the inverse. I'm the one who can talk about my feelings, identify my feelings, put words to them. Um, and so for, for me, a lot of the things that were geared towards men over the years were so unhelpful because mm-hmm. they were basically assuming that you had no interest in feelings, let alone a capacity to speak to them or about them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I've appreciated was that the version that I have of the Mind Journal like there's there's moments here and there where it does feel coaching, but it doesn't feel heavy handed. I feel like I can still access it and use it as someone who doesn't need a ton of prodding to get at my feelings, but it's still mm-hmm. um, neutral, as as you said, to allow for me to engage with it. And I love that. I, I really like that about it. Well, that was I mean, I think that was, again, the intention was that we wanted to make something that any guy could use no matter kind of what level they were at. So if it was, they were completely new to this kind of thing of like tapping into their emotions. So therefore the feelings list is there. That was kind of like the, the, the gateway thing for me to kind of get in me uh, exposed to feelings was just a, well, let's just list them. You know, when the therapist did that, she said, well, let's just stick them all on a page. It was yeah. kind of like, oh yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Cause then I can see, I can physically see them all. Um, yeah, and for people who haven't done the journal, who are listening, there's this, and on a lot of the pages of the version I have, there are these. Uh, there's just a list of of feelings and adjectives, and so you're asked a question, you're invited to underline, highlight, circle some of those feelings, and then there is some open space to write if you so choose. But that's what you're referring to these lists of like this made me feel happy or sad or annoyed or pissed off or whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we've and, and and that was always the objective was like, okay, well, how in each question in the journal, let's ask the the user, let's ask the the person writing how that question's making them feel or how yeah. they're feeling right now, um, you know. And I think that was always for me as a driving force to kind of go, oh, okay, it's not let necessarily sometimes about what you answer, it's like how you're answering it and then and how that how that's actually making you feel. I mean, it could be complete crap that you're writing down but it's your emotional response to it. That's what really matters. Yeah. Um, so you said at the beginning, Ollie, that this was a, this was a side project. Is it shifted? Is it a full time gig now? No, it's still a side project. Um, mm. so we're still doing the, still doing the branding and the client work, uh, which we love. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hopefully one day, um, mind journal will creep up and above and uh, the client stuff will drop off the screen. Yeah. Um, but that's fine. It's, it's, it's about balance, isn't it? I think that's one of the key things I've learned over the, over the years. And I'm still struggling with, if uh, finding balance and achieving balance um, in every aspect of my life, to be honest with you. But um, mm-hmm. I think that for the time being, it's, it's, it's healthy for me to have my journal because it's stopping me from, going too extreme with the client work and with the kind of commercial side of our, of our kind of, of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and probably making decisions that I've made before, before, which have maybe been too, um, financially led maybe with the kind of commercial side of things to make decisions that don't suit my interests as a, as a person, uh, and my, and my relationships around me, you know, I've, I've worked myself to the point where when I was freelancing and I didn't have mind journal, you know, I'd, I'd miss out on opportunities with friends or, uh, yeah. 
you know, you, you I'd be working so hard um, because it's almost like a bit of a drug that get that buzz of kind of like, oh, I've landed another gig and I've just quoted that and it and they and they liked my yeah. proposal and for me that re- that replaces all that adrenaline stuff that that mm-hmm. feeds my uh, feeds a, a core need in me. Um, I understand that. And mind yeah. journal, mind journal's now balancing that out for me because I can go, no, I'm not going to say yes to that project because I want to oh, work on, great. I want to work on this thing here and grow it and. Uh, and my drug now is getting amazing feedback from guys like yourselves and guys on email that go like, you know, I had one guy the other day emailed me and he said, I haven't used it since I bought it on the Kickstarter. It's just sat in my drawer for two years. I opened it up last night. I did the first three pages and this thing is incredible. It's hmm. already starting to change my life. And I was like, that's so cool. That's what, that's what's driving me. And that's what's, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the income. It's just, there's those emails. That's the, that's the, that's the paycheck. That's amazing. That's we, um, me and Leaf started this uh, about about maybe uh, two or three years ago. Uh, yeah, yeah, we started this like a year ago. But I started like a couple years ago, two or three years ago. Starting, I decided that I was going to do try and do one side project like a quarter or maybe every like twice a year or just something. And it was, and it was out of a desire. I said I wanted to do three things. I wanted it to be fun. I wanted to learn something new, and I wanted to launch it. And it was out of a desire to, at the time, I had just done a tech startup and had done that for three years and it was, in, it was intense and I was, had gotten mm. my ass handed to me and it was exhausted. So it was part of it was just like, I want to enjoy the process of creating again and enjoy the process of, of designing and um, writing and all of these different things. And so this project is actually one of those where me and Leaf, because we do some other things, Leaf's um, in video and I do design and brand and strategy and all that stuff. And so we had just like, man, wouldn't it be fun to do something that's very, very different this time around. Mm. It's not, that's not, um, that's not even close to client work. Some of the stuff I have done, what like I'll, I'll do like political satire stuff during the, the batshit crazy elections that we've been going through for the last few election cycles and just fun stuff. But this one was super different and you're right. It's like, so I still find it life-giving to just have Mm. something that doesn't require a lot of you, but is the, that has some like, like having a conversation with someone like you is so good and life-giving and just Mm. feeds that. And I think that's critical for creatives to have stuff like that. I think it becomes like therapy for me. For me, it's, it's been therapy. I mean, and like it really has become therapy because I mean, journaling is a, is a form of therapy for me. Doing Mind Journal as a side project is a form of therapy for me. And doing Mind Journal when we did the Kickstarter, it put me back into therapy because it opened up. Because we did we don't we launched Kickstarter. It was around the kind of ten year, nine year, ten year mark of my of my mum's death, and it and it kind of like triggered a whole new load of stuff in a box that I'd never kind of opened. And it put me back into therapy. I hadn't been in therapy for like four, five, six years up until Mind Journal launched. And and I found myself getting really depressed. And I'd never been depressed before. I'd never suffered with the loneliness. It was always adrenaline and anxiety and, and panic attacks. And all of a sudden I I was now depressed and I was questioning my life and questioning my decisions and questioning like uh-huh. you know my my relationship and, and all this kind of stuff. And and I thought, well, this is all was all sparked by by Mind Journal. Um and so through creating mind journal i've been on my own therapeutic counseling journey again um which is what was that what was that depression what what did you figure out um it was uh, it was that i've been trying to fill the hole that my mum had left basically with doing stuff if i'm doing then i'm filling the hole um and i think mind journal was a big Thing that I thought, ah, there's a there's another big thing that fill that hole. Let's let's launch a new business. Let's launch a new thing. Um, and I think uh, I think going on going through the journey of of Mind Journal and then therapy at the same time, I've kind of realised that uh, there's I don't need to fill that hole anymore. Um, mm. There is no hole. Do you know what I mean? That's I I am whole as myself, and that's okay. Um, that's brilliant and beautiful. And so a, my journal, a, my journal has changed my life. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> and it, and and for everybody, um, 
the the I, I think what are we up to, Leaf? Now like nine billion listeners. Uh, yep. Yeah. yeah. I haven't checked the stats this morning. Check the but... stats. Uh, it's very high. Anyway, very, very high. For, for the nine billion listeners, <laughs> maybe more. How do they get in touch with you, and how do they find Mind Journal? Uh, they can find out more about me by going to mindjournals.com. Uh, that's the that's the site with all the information in the Kickstarter video and, and everything else. Um, and they can find out more about me by going to ollieaplin.com. Uh, that's A-P-L-I-N. Some people like to spell it like the serial, like Alpin or all kinds of weird ways. It's just Aplin, A-P-L-I-N. Uh, just Google me, Google my name, Google Mind Journals. Tons of stuff will come up and press and bits and bobs. So, yeah. Great. And we'll make sure we put some links in the post that comes along with the site too. Sweet. Brilliant. Oh, man, thanks so much for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you. It's a real, real pleasure. It's really good.